Hello, everyone, and welcome to Alligator Preserves. I'm your host, Laurel McCarg, and we have a returning guest today. I'm so excited to revisit with author, award-winning author, multiple award-winning author, Kathleen Casca. So stick around. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Kathleen. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> it's been, you? it's been, I am well, it has been three years. The last time I interviewed you was in 2019. Oh, was it that long ago? It was oh. that long ago. And are you having the same problem? A lot of people are having with trying to figure out what day it is anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, you know, when I was working in an office, I always knew what day it was. Now that I'm working at home, it's like, well, one day is just like another, but that's okay. It's it's nice to nice to be here and and schedule my own time whenever I whenever I want. So I think it is good. I have I have a paper calendar up on my wall, and if I don't look at it every morning, I'm usually not sure what day it is because weekends feel like weekdays, and everybody's all all kerfluffled lately. It seems, but we are going to talk today about lots of things, but um, specifically about your book, murder. At the Manger, which I just finished reading. And oh my gosh, so much fun. But first I want you to, and I've been doing this with my authors lately, is can you give our listeners and viewers a little, um, uh, an elevator pitch? Like sure. what, tell, tell us why they want to read this book. And I'll okay. tell them right now, just you have to read it because it's great. <laughs> okay. It's 1953 in San Antonio. And the historic mission, the Alamo, is about to experience another battle. This one in the Minger Hotel. Sydney Lockhart checks into a hotel, and every time she does, someone is murdered. And every time that happens, she's a suspect. She is. And these are these are such fun to read. Oh my goodness. So and you haven't been to Leadville yet, and I hope that's I hope that the um, Delaware Hotel is still on your list of places to visit. And even though I live in Salida now, and there's a historic hotel in Salida too, you could come stay with me. So I just put that in the back of your mind. <laughs> I got it on the list. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Who's going to be murdered though? I might I might be able to give you some ideas. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, I I like to do some some research of what was going on in the city and the hotel at the time. And um, so I usually don't have, uh, my victim is always just some figment of my imagination, but then the issues around the murder often deal with something that's, that's going on. Uh, so this one takes place at, at the murder at the Minger hotel in San Antonio, but then uh, it also Sydney also winds up following leads all the way to New Orleans and then back. 
So it's got two locations, but it starts and ends at the Minger Hotel. And uh, I just came back from staying at the Minger. Uh, oh God, it's such a it's such a wonderful old hotel. It was built in uh, 1859. I believe it's the oldest hotel west of the Mississippi, if I have that correct. It's right across the street from the Alamo. You can just walk out the front door and the Alamo is right there. So it's got a very rich history. And it's just a beautiful hotel. Built a hundred years before my birth. <laughs> yeah. So you did, had to have done a ton of research about the year 1953. And I just smiled because even though, you know, I was born in 59, grew up through the 60s, so many of these things were still around the saddle shoes, the uh, going to the gas station and having them ask if they could check your oil. I mean, yeah. crazy things, five cent root beer. It might have been a little more expensive in the 60s. Um, what are some other things that you learned in your research about that time period that might have surprised you and that maybe didn't make it into the book? Because as I'm sure you know, you can't include everything you learn. Right, that's true. Um, what was going on in San Antonio at the time was it really surprised me when I started doing the research. I wanted to set part of the story in a nightclub. Um, so I looked up actual nightclubs that were um, around in San Antonio, and I found one called the Keyhole Club. And uh, a lot of famous people played there. Uh, it, so it was it was a fairly popular, almost notorious club. But what surprised me at this is set in 1953, but this club was very innovative. Mixed races were there. You know, you you could go in there no matter who you are, no matter your race, and you. Everyone just mingled really well together. And the the history that what I was reading about this club, it was just really innovative, which which kind of surprised me because of the racial issues that were going on in the 50s. But this was a really cool place. So, uh, you know, that was something that I learned. But then also when I'm writing in the 50s, I have to be aware of the language and uh, how people spoke to one another, how people related to one another. Um, and my character, Sydney, is a woman ahead of her time. And I, when I started writing the series, I had it set in my mind in current times. But I wanted Sydney to have, to be challenged and being a detective in 2022 is not a female detective it's not that uncommon but being one in the night in 1953 is unusual so i wanted i didn't want to make things easy for her so women back then um were just beginning to come into their own and uh this is after world war ii um and so they're trying new professions. They're they're getting into the workforce, and uh, so it it's just a, a decade that 
is very rich in change and opportunities. And I've kind of gotten off the track of of, of uh, what I had to to put in the book and what I didn't. But I just mainly wanted a character that was going to be fun and uh, have a challenge with her chosen career. Fun and feisty as she is in in all of her books. Now, which one is this in the series? This is number six. Okay. This is the latest one. It came out in June. So this is number six. And uh, we'll, we'll ask about number seven later, but um, you, you also had to research horse racing and of I course did. the Alamo. And, yes. Yes. And did uh, you have to attend any, any horse races to get that feel? Because it's great in here. I, I have attended several of them, but what I also realized is um, there was no legal horse racing in Texas during the 50s. So I thought, okay, but at that point, I was so into it, I didn't want to change it. I thought, okay, well, where can I, where can I find a horse race? And uh, New Orleans, uh, Louisiana was close. And I thought, oh, that would be fun. And it's not that far, you know, so I thought, okay, I will extend my setting into New Orleans, which I'm so glad I did, because it just added such a, a such a rich element to the story. And you mentioned my next book, um, the one after this, is set in New Orleans, because okay. I enjoyed the research so much that I just kind of continued the thread into New Orleans for the next book number seven, and that is Murder at the Train, the historic Train Hotel in New Orleans. Have you stayed there yet? No, I was scheduled to stay there a couple of times, but because of COVID, I had to cancel two, two trips, but I'll be there in the spring, um, and I can't wait. This is the hotel where Tennessee Williams wrote Streetcar Named Desire. Oh, my goodness. The vibes will be amazing there. Yes. (laughs) Oh, wow. So as I mentioned, the last time I interviewed you was in 2019, and I'll have have links to that uh, after this. And we were were talking about uh, Two Horse Town then, which is the book two in your animal rights mystery series, correct? Right. 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 And so and now I have to go back and, and read Run Dog Run. And we'll talk about your third book in that series, Eagle Crossing, in a bit. But I want to ask you now, since three years have passed and everything in between, how have you and your writing possibly changed um, since the carefree days of 2019? Well, I'm... Uh writing more um, because in 2019 I was still working as a marketing director for a publishing company so I was spending a lot of time you know doing that and then after COVID hit the company closed and uh, so I was at home all the time Uh, it usually took me nine months to a year to write the first draft of a book. After I had all this time on my hands, I was able to get one done in three months. So, 
<laughs> so that was like uh, an eye opener for me. So I am writing more. Um, I um, have written, I started a third series. I'm not sure where, where I'm going to go with that yet, but that was a book that I finished in three months. It, it's, you know, sitting there uh, waiting for me to go through it again. But um, so my habits have changed, I guess. My my writing style and uh, what I enjoy writing hasn't changed, but my habits are, have changed definitely because I have, I can write just whenever I want now. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of writers I know put themselves on a schedule and say, okay, I'm going to start at this time of the morning and, you know, write until I get so many words. And I, I can't do that. You know, I just, kind of fitted in with other things that I'm doing when the mood strikes. Um, so, you know, I don't have a definite schedule, but I like it that way because uh, sometimes, you know, I just don't feel like I'm ready to sit down and write. And sometimes I have to, you know, put myself in the chair and do it, but I just have feel like I have more freedom and less stress and I'm enjoying it a lot more. You're maybe, since you have the time, you're maybe more open to your muse when she might suggest something? Yes, definitely. Uh, I do. I'm I'm a runner, so I spend a lot of time out there on the trail. And uh, that's when we have a lot of our conversations. And uh, so when because you run, there's no one out there... It, Except you and your muse. So yeah. When you're running and you get an idea, though, how do you how do you make sure you remember remember it? Oh, I remember it because I, I just you know it's I'll get an idea and then it's like we're having a conversation, you know, and so that sticks in my head, and then uh, you know I'll come back and start doing some writing, and uh, so yeah. Do you, I, I, do you talk aloud? Do you talk aloud to muse? Sometimes I talk to my muse uh, no I don't do that <laughs> no it's just all in my head it's it's in my head I use my little voice memo app so I'll so I'll pretend I'm not talking to myself <laughs> that helps me with things so your main character Sydney um you you mentioned and it's Sydney Jean. You mentioned somewhere in the story that uh, it was her mother's plan to name her Sydney Jean. T tell us a little about about that and about about Sydney. Well, Sydney and her mother are always at odds with one another, and she's annoyed with her mother just for just about everything, including naming her Sydney Jean, because people often think that she is, she's got a man's name, Sydney. So she has to explain, no, it's Sydney with a Y. And then uh, she said, but then, you know, she's thinking about this name and she's saying, well, maybe I should just go by my middle name, but then my middle name is Jean. So then I would have to explain that. So she just gets on these, tears about her mother and what her mother expects of her. And she tries to avoid her mother at all costs. Uh, so that's, that's just, you know, the dynamics of their relationship. I think it's very relatable. I think a lot of people will 
relate to certain aspects of that, which is just fun. So let, let's talk a little bit about characters. And in um, in this story, and in, in most of them, you have a lot of characters. Um, I think we talked last time, and you you talked about having character charts. You know, k- yeah. kind of keeping them separate, knowing a lot about them. Is is there a a formula for how many characters you should or could have in in a mystery like this? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, sometimes I think I have too many uh, when I'm writing. I'm, I have my regular characters that show up all the time, but sometimes I I start I stop and think, well, is there too many? And then I will get with my editor and my publisher, and rarely is that the case. But every now and then I will eliminate a minor character. But there's a whole group of characters that have joined Sydney over the last six books. They're not all in every book, but then, of course, Ruth, her cousin, who's her sidekick. I, I couldn't write a, a Sydney book without Ruth. And then um, her partner, boyfriend, Ralph Dixon. Um, and their um, families. Uh, and they're in the book, but they're not in every one um, so there's probably about a dozen reoccurring characters. Um, there's a, a new character that appeared in the Driscoll, Murder at the Driscoll, which was the one right before this. And um, she is a 12-year-old girl. and. She is, I like to describe her as the smartest person in the room. Uh, and I was only going to have her for one book, but she she's such a delight. And I had such a good time with her that she's going to be uh, a regular character. She shows up in the Minger. Uh, you just get a little taste of her at the beginning, but then she shows up at the end. Um, and then she's in Pontchartrain. A lot more in that one, but more with her, uh, yeah, yeah. So I do have a lot of characters, and um, I try to be aware of that. Um, so you know, it it, but they usually it usually works. So. It it works. Your character Taco, <laughs> love Taco, and it's funny because. For a while, I thought he might be a potential potential love interest, and I'm wondering if I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if that was purposeful. Uh, I I didn't think of him as as that. Um, they they have this banter going on between them, you know, they're kind of flirting. But I I didn't think of him as being a possible love interest. I thought at one time he might be a suspect. Uh, I, I, let me step back and explain. <laughs> it could, because we don't I, want to give any any spoilers, right? No, no. But I'm a pantser. You know, I don't plot. I don't organize and plot and outline before I start writing. Well, and I also remember that you didn't know who the killer was until the end. You don't know sometimes. Close to the end. Yeah. Close to the end. Right. Which blew my mind. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I it writing for me is like reading. You know, I st- I open up a document and I just start writing, just similar similar to reading a book, and that's fun, and I enjoy that, and my imagination just goes wild. But then about two thirds, three quarters of the way into the book, <laughs> I have to stop and I have to just weave everything together. That's where the work starts. So, you know, I have these characters and and then I have, um, you know, my suspects and and people that show up and like who who is a suspect and, and then I put in the red herring. So I kind of thought at one point that Taco might be a suspect, but it just didn't work that way. Um, Sydney needed a buddy. Uh, when she starts on this journey, Dixon wasn't in town and Ruth wasn't there yet. So um, she needed someone to help her along. And that's when Taco, the the cab driver, shows up and just kind of sticks around and and uh, becomes a big part of the story. So that's a little bit of a spoiler alert. It's not Taco. No, it's not Taco. That's okay. There, there are plenty of other suspects there. Are there are plenty, plenty of other suspects. Would you like to read a passage from this? Yes, I would. Right. Um, and for those of you just joining us, we are visiting with multi-award winning author Kathleen Casca, and we're talking about her book, Murder at the Menger, which she's going to read us a passage from. Okay, this is a scene where... Sydney, I will tell you that Sydney was attacked and thrown into the San Antonio River. Uh, she has amnesia at this point. She knows where she is. She knows who she is. She knows that she's in San Antonio on this case, but her memory of everything before San Antonio, her life in Austin, who she works for is really fuzzy. So she's kind of, you know, out of it right now. Ruth, her sidekick cousin, shows up here, and Sydney is being chased by some bad guys. And so this is where this one starts. This scene starts. They looked familiar, but I couldn't bring them to mind. I continued on a bit faster, hoping to make it to the hotel before they nabbed me. I could feel them closing in. I jerked the pillow out of my skirt, flung it at them, and took off running. She's in disguise. A bullet whizzed by my left ear. I stumbled and caught myself before I went down. A car squealed by, ran up on the pavement in front of me, and stopped, almost knocking me to the gutter. That bossy blonde woman who'd been hanging around the hotel jumped out and fired a couple of rounds at my pursuers. That crazy broad pounded on the with her fist on the hood. Don't just stand there. Those guys are after you. Get in. I hopped in the front seat and we took off. What's gotten into you? I came all the way to San Antonio to get you out of another bind and you avoid me. You act as if I have the blue bonnet click. Someone is chasing you and you throw a pillow at him? How stupid is that? Wait till I tell Dixon how strange you're acting. 
your clothes are a mess again. I swear, what am I going to do with you? Where in the hell have you been? Excuse me, do I know you? Oh, stop right now with the undercover shit. No one in the car. There's no one in the car except you and me. I just spoke to Billy and he told me you were in trouble. I wasn't sure how to respond to this woman's tirade, but the blue bonnet plague statement had me more than puzzled. Okay, okay, be that way. We drove on without either of us saying a word. I was pretty sure she wasn't a bad guy, but I figured it was best to let this woman calm down before I started with the questions. Soon we were on the outskirts of the city. I couldn't hold my tongue any longer. Where are you taking me? Out of San Antonio. You're wanted for murder again, and you've been shot at again. We parked on a gravel road near a small airport. She grabbed a bag from the back seat and ordered me to follow. Sitting on the tarmac at the end of the runway was a Cessna. This is Palmer's plane. Get in, she said. You're a pilot. Oh, don't be cynical. She donned a white skirt and goggles and rammed what looked like a deflated football on her head. I was beginning to admire this woman. She was a tough little thing. And if she could fly me out of San Antonio away from someone trying to kill me, I wasn't going to argue. I made myself comfortable. Do you need some help? No, smarty pants. And then I could have sworn she said, I'd seen Palmer do this many times. Excuse me, are, are you new at this? You've always had such little faith in me. She climbed into the cockpit and started pushing buttons and turning knobs. Just trust me for once. How good of a pilot are you? With a sudden jerk, the plane was rolling. Oh, please, I'm flying you back to Austin. You bungle things here. Actually, now that you mentioned it, I'd rather go to New Orleans. New Orleans? Hmm, why not? I'm game. Which direction is that? Before I could open the door and leap out, we were bouncing along the runway at breakneck speed, heading directly for a hangar. At the last second, the plane rose and we were in the air, wobbling like a goose with broken wings. Well, how did I do? She asked. Close call. That's because I've never soloed before. But I figured, how hard can it be? Now, if my memory serves me, New Orleans is over there near Savannah, right? Let's see. The sun is to my left. So if I turn right and fly east, piece of cake. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I love Ruth. And I have to ask, do you know or, or have a crazy cousin, Ruth? No, I don't. You don't? I don't. Uh, Ruth is just a figment of my imagination. The blue bonnet plague all throughout there. She misspeaks. And she does. It's delightful and adorable and funny. And how, how did you figure out how many of those to put in there? Because, I mean, you know, you're punny. Well, uh, it's just Ruth talking to me. I mean, you know, she's she's forever mixing up her words and uh, getting names wrong and 
you know, Ruth is, is the typical dumb blonde, but she plays the part really well. She's smarter than she likes to, to, uh, for everyone to believe. Uh, and it's just kind of her persona. It's just the way, you know, she gets attention. Uh, and it's the way she can get under Sydney's skin. So, so she does this purposefully, you think? Misspeaks? Most of the time, yes. Okay. Yeah. And right. it's, it's just not important to her. Right. If she gets a name wrong, it's like, it's oh, close. whatever, you know, you know what I mean. You know what? I'm not worried about the details, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Exactly. She is absolutely wonderful. So tell our audience, tell me, what makes a murder cozy? Oh, my uh, light just went off. Okay. Uh, it's not graphic. Um, there's not a lot of graphic violence. Also, your main character is not someone who is an authority or is like a police officer or um, um, a criminologist or someone. They don't work in the field. In other words, they're not official. That's the word I'm trying to trying okay. to come up with. Um, Sydney is a detective, but she didn't start off that way. But because it's lighthearted, it's humorous. There's not a lot of graphic violence. Uh, it's considered a cozy. Um, there are so many different types of mysteries, and it's just really hard to define each of them. And many of them just blend together. But uh, being lighthearted and funny would make this a cozy. And might it have something to do with the fact that we know everything is going to be okay in the end? Yes, yes. Okay. Right. Kind yeah. of like a, in the, the romance genre, we know that the two that we meet at the beginning are going to end up together in the end, despite all the ups and downs they will experience in between. Yeah. Right. All right. All right. So your use of amnesia. Is that, I, I think that's an unusual choice for a first person POV character. It was hard. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard to write it. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to challenge Sydney. I want, I'm always trying to make things hard on her and, and she's always getting attacked or, you know, whatever. Um, so I thought, well, what happens if, she just loses her memory. She's in San Antonio and she's not familiar with the city. Um, Dixon was supposed to be with her there and he's not. And so she's in a strange place and I just wanted to make it harder on her. And so I, once I started writing the fact that she had amnesia, it was kind of hard because she has to had some she had to have some memory of what was going on but uh there is just a lot of what was happening at home and who she was just kind of slowly came back to her as she's as she's uh investigating this case uh, but uh, so i don't know where i got the idea to come up with with that but once i did it was fun and uh and, and a bit challenging 
I would imagine a lot challenging. And I'm sure your muse told you to do this on one of your runs or whatever, but <laughs> yeah, right. right. I, I mean, I was going to ask where you got the idea. I mean, do you have a list of things that could make a character experience difficulty? <laughs> I wish I could say I have a list. I don't. <laughs> you'll, you'll work on that after this interview. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, when I start a book, of course, the first thing I do is I select a hotel. And then I just kind of get some ideas and put down some notes. Um, and then I do some research and I and then I just start writing. Um, the one that I am working on in the future, I just have like a chapter done Um this I like to set my my books in the south. And so this one is set in Texas, will be set in Texas in a remote part of the state um, in a town called Marfa. Marfa? Uh, You're kidding. Marfa. Yes. Do you know Marfa? I know Marfa. Our youngest son owned property in Marfa for a while. <laughs> Oh. And we visited Marfa, and it is a really unique little place oh, out in is. the middle of nowhere in Cowland on the yes. way to Big Bend. And it's very <sighs> mysterious. Yes. It's it's just a, one of these quirky places that draw a lot of quirky people. Um, big hotel there? Yeah. Is that, is that, is that where you'll... Um, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was, spe- it, it, we had dinner there and we could have been in New York city. It was yes. that type of atmosphere. Yeah. It, it, there's a, there's a big art community there. Yes. Um, yeah. And um, so I set the, hotel, I set the, the story there and um, Pisano is the name of the hotel. The, and Martha is where the movie giant was filmed right out right outside of Marfa uh, with Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson and James huh. Dean, and they stayed at the Pisano Hotel. Um, so I thought, okay, this would be great. We'll set this story at the Pisano. I'll set this story at the Pisano, and I'll set it at the time. They're filming the movie. Oh, this is going to be awesome. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson as characters in the book. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's that's all I have. That's all I have. Hurry up and get that one done. (laughs) And I know there was, I think there was a Netflix series with Kevin Bacon in it about Marfa, something about Dick. I mean, the... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a, I think it was called Marfa, wasn't it? Uh, I, I don't know, but I'll have, um, I'll have to I'll have to look that up. Uh, yeah, because. I started watching that. Um, it was it was interesting. <laughs> we started watching it too, and it was interesting, and we didn't finish. But um, neither did I. Neither I, did I. <laughs> I that will that will be such a fun project. Oh my goodness. Ah, all right. So back to murder at the Manger. Yes. and you know, I'm, I'm interested in in formulas and and wondering about things. In chapter twenty three, she goes through a recap 
of of all the things that have happened. And as a reader, it was really helpful because she goes through a lot. You challenged her in so many ways. And to have that recap there, uh, is that something that you knew to do or what made you do that? It was really helpful. I I do it in all my books because there is a lot happening. You know, she's all over the place. So um, I do it for, I mean, Sydney does it for herself. She has to stop and think, okay, this is what's been going on. But I also do it for the reader to, you know, to pull everything together. Um, so I do that in every book and and I appreciate it when other authors do it uh, because, you know, you're reading and and there's a lot going on and then you have to stop and you have to say, OK, especially if you're trying to solve the mystery, you have to look at all your facts. You have to look at the characters and who said what, and who did what and just kind of recap couple of times in the book to catch everybody up and just to, you know, say, okay, this is what's happened. And so let's go on from here. Well, thanks. Thanks for doing that in your books <laughs> and readers out there, you will appreciate it too. Um, when, I'm not going to say anything about the ending other, other than your twist was really unusual. And you just have to read it, everybody. And obviously something will continue in yes. the next book yes. with what you made that decision to do. Right. So, uh, Kathleen, you have so many different projects going on. I see behind you, I see the um, your, your bird there. Tell, mm-hmm. tell the readers a little bit about your book about that. Okay. I am a birder. I I enjoy birding and I have a book. Okay, here it is. Uh, this is a biography. It's called The Man Who Saved the Whooping Crane, the Robert Porter Allen story. I wrote this because it was a story that I was very passionate about. This is a story about the ornithologist who saved the whooping cranes from extinction in the 30s and 40s. I'm from Texas, and the first time I went to the wildlife refuge on the coast to see the endangered whooping cranes, I was blown away. They're they're amazing birds, and their story of survival was so important. In the nineteen late 1930s, there were only 15 of these majestic birds left in the wild. And uh, Robert Porter Allen, an ornithologist for the Audubon Society, was assigned to bring them back from extinction. And his story, his life story, reads like an Indiana Jones movie. It's just one harrowing adventure after another where he, you know, he's lost in the wilderness. He almost dies in a plane crash. Uh, and he he was a character, a, a person that I felt his story needed to be told because nobody knew him. He, mm-hmm. People were forgetting who he was, even in the birding world. So I, I wrote a few articles about him in, in some magazines, and then I decided to turn it into a book. Uh, 
so that picture back there is a friend of mine who's a photographer. He took the the photos for the book. Wow. And so this was just like a labor of love for me. And all my all my royalties for this go to the Whooping Crane uh, Association. Oh, you're a good woman. You deal <laughs> with animal rights books. You have trivia books out. Again, award-winning trivia books. Sherlock Holmes Society. Or are you still the president of your chapter? I, I, I'm the founder. We're not organized enough to have a president. Okay. <laughs> founder. Good enough. All right. I, I, before I talk about your growing up as a Catholic newsletter, I'm going to ask you, um, have you done any work on West Coma, Texas? Oh, thanks for remembering <laughs> that. You know, no, I haven't. That That's just another project that's there. <laughs> I think it kind of evolved into growing up Catholic into in a small Texas town. I wasn't ready to do any more on that uh, on that story. For those who are listening, I'm from a little town in central Texas called West. And uh, it's it's a town of now 3,000 people. When I was growing up, there was only like 2,000. So <clears throat> it's grown a little bit. It's a Czech Catholic community. And uh, people who live there, we refer to the town as West Kama. Because when people hear that we're from West Texas, they think we're from out, we're from Lubbock or Amarillo or someone way in the West, in the region. And we have to say, no, we're from West Kama, Texas. So I was playing with an idea of writing a mystery series set there. And uh, so I've got a couple of chapters in West Kama, Texas. That's the title of the book. And then I have a second book few chapters in that one called West of Nowhere. And uh, it's it's a delightful little town. And uh, I'm related to just about everybody there. <laughs> How uh, far is it from Marfa? Oh, probably about 12, 15 hour drive. <laughs> Texas Long is big. <laughs> Texas is a big state. Uh, Waco, uh, West is north of Waco, about 15 miles. And uh, kind of in the heart of Texas. So there's a song there, right? Deep in there I think there's a song there. <laughs> Kathleen, what? Well, first of all, I mentioned your newsletter. So how can people get your amusing and wonderful newsletter? You can go on <clears throat> onto my website, KathleenKoska.com, and you can sign up for my newsletter. I write the blog post growing up Catholic in a small Texas town. And that and it's that's what it's about. You know, um, when I was growing up, everything was so serious with me. I went to a Catholic school for eight years and, you know, I was terrified of the nuns. And then, you know, with all the Catholic guilt and the confessional. Finally, yes, yes. Finally, I just had to say, oh, this I just had to laugh. You know, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. So I was just taking these experiences and and my memories, and, and I started writing these blog posts uh, about growing up Catholic in a small Texas town. And it, 
that's really taken off. Uh, a, a lot of people, whether you're from West or not, I think can relate to it. Um, it's just it's just a fun a fun block. It it is. So everybody sign up for it. It's wonderful, even if you're not Catholic, even if you're not dealing with. <laughs> Latent Catholic guilt. And I have to apologize. I've been calling you Kathleen Casca. And you just said Kathleen Casca. Yeah. Is that? But that that's okay. I have some relatives that pronounce it Casca, but uh, my family's always pronounced it Casca. So. Uh, all right. I, I sit corrected. <laughs> Do you have any writing tips for our aspiring authors out there? Yes. Just write your story. Don't I I'm also a writing coach. I work with with new authors and um people who want to write and they don't know how to start. And they get into all of this. Well, who is gonna publish this and how should I market it? And uh, and it's like that's way in the future. Just write your story. And often they don't know how to start. Or they don't have the time to start. So my advice is always the same. 15 minutes a day. That's all it takes. You can find 15 minutes a day, no matter how busy your schedule is. And generally, that might turn into longer than 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. It always started. does. Yeah, yeah. But even if it doesn't, if you write 15 minutes a day, 15 minutes, you can get a page done. At the end of the year, you have 365 pages, which is the length of a novel. Mm-hmm. And then you can start editing it and polishing it. So just don't overthink it. Yeah. Just sit down and start writing. And of course, there are other things you can do. Um, join writers critique groups, yes. join writers organizations, uh, take creative writing classes, Um yeah. So go to conferences and take work. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Just do things authors do. Right. No. Right. So you just had a book come out on October 15th. I mean, October 5th, I think. Yes. Eagle Crossing, the third yes. book in your yes. animal rights series. Yes. A little, little bit about that. Do you have a, did you have an elevator pitch for that? Uh, this takes place on a small island in Washington state called Lopez Island. It centered around a wildlife rescue facility called Eagle Crossing. Each book in the series deals with an animal rights issue. Mm -hmm. And my character is an animal rights activist. So she is there to visit a friend who runs this facility and a murder takes place. Of course. Of course. A A cozy murder. A cozy murder. Well, yes, this is this is it's it's a cozy because uh, Kate Caraway, my character, doesn't act in any professional manner. She's just there to solve this to solve this mystery of this person who was murdered, who she knew, and it is more on the line of suspense as opposed to lighthearted mystery. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's. I, I really enjoy I wrote this one a, a long time ago. I wrote this series a long time ago and I put it aside. And then I started writing Sydney. And then I pulled this out and um I have three books in that series. And the first dog, the first one you mentioned earlier, Run Dog Run, uh, deals with um uh, 
Greyhound issues. And uh, then Two there's Town. Two Town, and that deals with wild Mustangs in Montana. Right. And uh, so animal rights has, has always been something that's been real meaningful for me. When I lived in Austin, I worked as a wildlife rehabber for uh, wildlife rescue. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's where the idea. I wanted to write a book with a social cause. Okay. So a series. So that's yeah. why I started with the Kate Caraway series. And a really great thing about your series books is you don't have to read them all in sequence. That I mean, they're they're standalone, and you know, it would they it are. would help to know a little more about some of the characters, whatever. But you don't have to have that. You could pick no, up any no. of your books and read them and enjoy them greatly. Thank you. Ugh. Kathleen, you will send me um, some new photos, maybe, because okay. I'll I'll put this up on on um, YouTube and I'll I'll do a web page of it, and I will have links and photos on my website at leadvillelaurel.com for all of you, and we'll do an audio only version of this as well. Kathleen, murder at the Menger, highly enjoyable as it. I I need to read more of your books. There are so many books out there, but definitely if if you are looking for a cozy mystery, murder mystery, murders can be cozy. Um, get Kathleen Casca's books now. And let's not wait three years before our next visit. Let's not. Murder at the Poncha Train should be out next spring. So, And then you're going to come to Leadville and or Salida and uh, work on another one. I will. I will. All right. <laughs> Kathleen, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate thank it. Thank you for and having me. Stay well. We'll, we'll meet again. We'll be well. Bye-bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com.